Welcome to the Micah Micah podcast presented by Legendary Sports Network. I'm Mike here with Micah. We're running a, another two-man game uh, for this episode. Here. Micah, before we begin, you know how we always do. It's summertime. We're out of school. Everybody's enjoying themselves. So how has your summer been so far? And how have you enjoyed these past couple of days? Man, these last couple of days, bro, I'm still jet lag, still kind of getting, yeah, my sleep <laughs> It ain't the same, bro. But you know, starting this nice little internship. Shout out to Louis Day Sox, the employers. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to get into the thick of things, bro. It's work time now over on this side, but hey, summer is great. I don't gotta go to school every day. It's just everything, bro. I get some free time, some downtime, and it's finals. It's a lot of stuff going on sports wise right before this little dead zone we have. So I'm excited, bro. Yeah, definitely excited. Uh, like you said, there's. A lot more downtime here in the summer, so we're definitely gonna we're working on things behind the scenes to try to get more content out, but getting more interaction. And we're excited for everything that's gonna happen this summer. We we started like we're, we're almost coming up to a year. We started the podcast where yeah, man. our first podcast was during free agency, uh, a free agency podcast last year. We're almost getting up to a year, which is kind of kind of surreal, but. Like, it was like mid June, late yeah, June. Yeah, yeah, mid uh, mid to late June. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And a year later, here we are. Um, here we are, still going strong and getting a lot more plays, a lot more listens, and uh, a lot more, a lot more fans. We talked about the NBA Finals last night, Micah, but that was our instant quick reaction. We've gone through today. Um, we've seen the highlights. We've watched the game over again, and we've gotten some news right before we started our podcast. Woj tweeted out that Kevon Looney has a broken collarbone and is done for the season. That means that the Warriors now are down to Boogie Cousins, who can, can't play up to 30 minutes. We saw him in 28 minutes uh, last game, and he was winded at like 24, 25. That was, that was very, uh, very tough for him to see him having to add on extra minutes. You have Andrew Bogut, who is in – definitely the downturn of his career he didn't even play in the nba during the season he was in australia and then the warriors called him back um that i don't know if you could expect him to play <laughs> 10 15 minutes before he uh falls down yeah. and passes out and then jordan bell has been he's unplayable this series he was able to work last series when uh myers leonard and bigs that were able to move and stretch the floor he could keep up with them but what marcus saw marcus saw just going to body him in the paint and we saw that in game one where they went to start him, and it, it just didn't work out. He only played a couple of minutes, and they didn't play him at all in game two. So, Michael, before we get into the actual game, the injuries seem to be piling up here. As Clay Thompson, uh, Shams tweeted out that he is questionable with his hamstring. Are the Warriors going to be able to win this with all the injuries that are going on? Is there, if, is there a specific scenario you see where the Warriors can win? Like, if Clay is still able to go, do you see them – um, being able to win, or at this point, the injuries are just going to decimate them. You know, it's interesting that this is all kind of happening right when a series takes a turn. You know, they they always say the series don't really start till game three when those home, you know, that home court switches and stuff like that. And right at the apex of where it's time to buckle down, to hunker down, you're seeing injuries, big time injuries. I mean, come on, Looney, bro. His stats may not say it, but he was really a glue piece for that team, bro. Oh, like, yes. Defensively? He, different, bro, he was playing some of his, I mean, I won't even say some of his best basketball of his career at the perfect time. So it hurts. It really hurts seeing this happen. And, of course, it means that Boogie's going to have to try to shoulder a load, but it's also a guy that hasn't been playing. First of all, he didn't play first half of the season 
right when he was getting into his groove, he got hurt again. So it's just like how much like how much of the load can he really carry? He's definitely not at the all pro type of performances that he can, you know, I don't really see that happening too much unless he just goes ridiculous and just puts the team on his his back. Um but yeah, Mr. Kalar uh, Kalar and Looney hurts. You're missing a guy who was shooting what like over seventy percent, a good amount of rebounds, a good amount of points, good minutes per game. Um what's more scary for the Warriors, I think, is the fact that if Clay is okay, so he's questionable. Basically that's a game time decision. An I think hour, Clay's gonna play. Yeah, an hour before the game, he's probably, you know, he's one his adrenaline's gonna be pumping, get some shooting around shots. He's probably gonna be good. Now, what production are we gonna see out of Clay? Um we saw Andre Iguodala the last game playing a little nicked up. You saw him in early in the first quarter. He was kind of limping around, and he still hit the game winning shot. With Clay, it's a little bit different. You're expecting more of a movement, getting shots off type of thing. So we're going to see how that plays with the hamstring. It's really hard to move after a hamstring. You're almost like a rock. So if that situation plays out not necessarily in the Warriors' way, you can see a situation where they end up going to seven with or without KD. If they get to this game seven, and I've been saying I said it yesterday, it's a little bit scary if they allow this to happen and at the wrong time, all their pieces are falling. I think it forces uh, KD to try to get on the court quicker and maybe, not one said necessarily say rush, but doesn't come back at his most comfortable state. I feel like he would rather come back at a game four, but if we're seeing this play out and for some reason some freak thing happens where Clay is not all where he needs to be by tomorrow or by game time, then you might see KD try to rush it for a game three or possibly a game four. That's just me projecting. Um, I think regardless, at this point in the series, it's probably going to go to seven. I've been saying six, but I'm I'm seeing more seven just happening just because of how this is playing out. They're really going to miss Kevon Looney, and I, I, you know, I hope they can pick it up. I didn't really talk about Andrew Bogut, but I'm not really expecting much from him, so it's there on that. Uh, hopefully the Warriors can keep doing what they do, but the injuries hurt, especially right now. Yeah, um, I think that's where I'm coming from. With Kevon Looney going down, like you said, a very pivotal and key glue guy for um, for the Warriors, especially defensively. But I do think that if Boogie's able to give you another, uh, give you that 29-30 minute production, then I think you can make up for that because you mm-hmm. didn't have Boogie in the first two rounds, and I think that's fine. I'm really looking to, to Clay. With Clay potentially not being able to go in a game three situation, the burden goes on all on Steph Curry. Draymond, he, <laughs> yeah, he he didn't have a great game too. He started off terrible, um, then he got hot, and then but the last eight nine minutes of the fourth quarter, they uh, went to a box one, and he wasn't able to do anything. Um, so if they can now go into a game where they're just focusing in on Steph Curry, they don't have to worry about Klay Thompson. I mean, Boogie, yeah, but not really. KD's not playing. You're you're limiting yourself to Steph Curry now having to play with Quinn Cook, who had a great game yesterday. But I've been saying it all series for the Raptors side, and I'm going to say it again for the Warriors. You can't expect to get those type of constant production out of your role players. You're going to get games where they hit and games where they miss. Iggy was terrible in game one. Game two, he comes back and hit the biggest shot. Quinn Cook, I didn't even know if he played in game one, but he had nine points in game two. Same thing on the Raptors side, Siakam. Great in game one, kind of irrelevant in game two. So there's, if you look back and forth, there's role players are always going to have, always going to be hot or not. And you have to have your star players being able to produce. With Kevin Durant not, right now it's not looking like he's going to play. They haven't said anything. 
with Clay Thompson saying that if he does go, he's probably gonna, not going to be 100%. And you, we're t- a lot of people talking about Clay's offense. His defense is Absol- Outstanding, bro. And if he can't be 100% running around with a Van Vliet, trying to uh, defend Kawhi on the switch, then that's also a big problem. So the Warriors have a lot of questions here. And everybody was talking about it at the beginning of the season, like, well, the, the championship is already decided. Whatever happens, like, the Warriors didn't deserve this. If the Warriors are able to win this series, this is the most deserving championship that they have. Mm-hmm. Over the ones over the one before KD where they beat that LeBron team with uh, Delhi and uh, LeBron, those are the only two players because Love and Irving got hurt. Because with all the adversity they've been through with losing um, losing Boogie in game in game two of the first round and um, – and blowing that 31-point lead to the Clippers. Then in the second round, you have to go and face the Houston Rockets team where you face in the Western Conference Finals. Losing KD to uh, what we thought originally was an Achilles injury, but it ended up being just a calf, uh, a very severe calf injury, and still winning that series. Then going to Portland and losing in every single game by at least double digits and coming out to win there, and then being down 0-1 in Toronto in a crazy environment and able to win that game with the 18-0 run. I think this is the most deserving championship for the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, I had to agree with you on that, bro. Uh, you know, it's crazy. We kind of see this all year. We're talking about, oh, they have five All-Stars and stuff like that. But the season for them is, I would almost say, in the most Warriors type of way, tumultuous in the sense that they didn't really get those five out there at all during the season. It was only uh, less than a quarter of the season where they had all of them out there. And we're really seeing the effects of it. I mean, if somehow they all get them out there, how's is, I mean, of course, in the regular season, their chemistry was amazing when they, those couple of games, it was just like they were putting up ridiculous numbers. But right now when it's. They haven't done it in months. Yeah, yeah, they haven't done it in a while. So it's like, do you even want to go to that, go that route? And of course, you kind of have to because it's the finals. But it's just be interesting. I, I, I kind of want to see it play out just to see how they adjust and what Steve Kerr can really do. I think Steve Kerr is getting his hardest coaching job since he's, you know, took Mark Jackson's spot as the coach. Uh which is to say that, I mean, we really want to see his coaching chops because he's been, I wouldn't albeit say carried, but he's been benefiting from the best two shooters in this uh, generation, the best pie two-way player that we have in the league that isn't named Kawhi LeBron and right now Boogie. So we want to see what Steve Kirk can really do with these role players, with guys stepping up, but I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, uh, I think this series has got very interesting. Um, and we didn't really talk about it, but Kawhi, he also doesn't seem to be 100%. Uh, we saw it in the Bucks series, and mm-hmm. that's also a question that's looming over. The Raptors, game three, they have to capitalize because right now it's looking like game three, it's going to be on Steph's shoulder, Steph and Draymond. Draymond, I know what I'm going to get for him. I'm, I'm going to get almost triple-double and that 10-10 and 10 type of game. Boogie... <laughs> I don't know if he's going to be able to do what he did in game two and game three. They're going to be definitely be looking for it. But, I mean, there are a lot of questions here. And if the Raptors cannot win game three, I think that they are going to be – it's going to be very difficult for them to go ahead and try and um, uh, win this series. But going specifically into the keys for uh, the keys for the Raptors and the Warriors to win game three, and then we'll get into our predictions. I want to start with you, Micah. What do the Raptors have to do for game three to go ahead and win that? Well, I think they have to play more of that janky defense Steph was talking about, first of all. Um, if they can limit, especially if we see a situation where Clay doesn't play, they can limit how much Steph Curry 
does in the court, then they have the game in their hands, and it's just about them making shots on offense. Um, defensively, they've been playing pretty good. Uh, I would say even more than good. Um, but they can definitely step it up. I mean, that 20-0 run is inexcusable for all of them on the court. I mean, Kyle Lowry is not a shabby defender. Kawhi Leonard is all-world defender. And they kind of, you know, they kind of let that happen. They kind of got out of control. Um, more of that box, more of that jingy defense. And most importantly, please give Kawhi some help. Another 20-point score. He's going to put up 30 points regardless of what happens. Win, lose, blow out. He's going to have a 30-piece and at least, what, six, seven rebounds, a couple assists, a couple steals on a block. Yep. But what else is there? I mean, we talked about it. Uh, excuse me, Van Fleet, 17 points with 17 shots from the bench, outscoring your starting point guard, Kyle Lowry. Step up, bro. I mean, you know, you showed up a little bit in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'll give you that. But the rest of the playoffs, they've been talking about you bad. They've been talking about this is what it, the problem has been. It wasn't the Rosen and stuff like that. If we get a good night from Kyle Lowry, and you've been saying it the whole time, he is the X factor, and I'm starting to agree with you. If Kyle Lowry shows up, then and it really shows, like, it's 25 points, uh, seven assists kind of night, and a couple steals, they have that game in the bag. So I really want to see that happen. But offensively, they have to start making shots and capitalizing on buckets. They have to do something. Because that's really what they're lacking right now. The defense is playing great, but it's almost like in football and really all sports, your defense can only carry you so much. You have to put points in the hoop, and that's really what they're lacking with right now in key situations. They're scoring points, but it's in key situations. They're not getting the bucket and not getting the ball in the hoop. Yeah, uh, for, I think I, I agree with that mostly with uh, the Raptors. Like you said, Kyle Lowry has to be better. Um, they're going to need another Siakam type of game. That's the only way you can go ahead mm-hmm. and and even consider being in a game because with Siakam, you're able to extend the floor. You're able to you get Siakam. That means you're getting a lot of transition buckets, and you want to see that from the Raptors. They can't get into the mindset of going into that half court game. Because the only person that can really produce in that half-court game is Klay Thompson. Uh, is uh, Kawhi Leonard, I mean. Mm-hmm. And Kawhi can't do it all by himself. We saw, we saw that he did it for the Sixers. He had to do it for the Bucks a couple of times. You just get tired. And that's, yeah, the, man. and that's what the Warriors have, that they have multiple players that they can go to. Last game, uh, game two was Iggy. In game four, you have Steph. You can have Klay. So many different players that you can go to each and every time. And I think that Kawhi is going to tire out if you keep having to put the burden on his shoulders. So for the Raptors, they need to get back to what they were doing in game one defensively because the, the beginning of that third quarter was just – that was <laughs> abysmal defense. And it's it sucks because it happens to every team, but when the Warriors start getting going, it just looks like you're lost and you, you don't know what exactly you want to do. So they have to get back to that um, – get back to that level of intensity defense where they're switching everything – they're putting their hands in the passing lanes, being able to get a couple of turnovers on Draymond, who a couple of uh, law passes that they used, they used to do, you see Kawhi get into the lane and steal a couple of those balls. So mm-hmm. that's going to be pivotal for pivotal for the Raptors to uh, to go ahead and win game three. Also with game three, we've got to look to the Warriors side. So, Mike, I'll start with you again. What do the Warriors have to do? We're going to assume that we know Kevon Looney is not playing, but I believe that Klay Thompson is going to be playing. So, with that lineup, what do the Warriors have to do to try and come away with the victory in Game 3? Honestly, and I feel like it's really simple. Steph Curry needs to play a full four quarters for them to keep doing what they need to do. I don't Even if Clay plays, I don't know how much of a threat he'll be in you know, the way he works on the offense, running off the screens and stuff like that. They have a very motion-oriented 
like they have a very emotion oriented offense, and it's not necessarily a, a fast paced run and gun, but they work so many screens, bro. That he, you know, I was seeing in the first quarter, he was just coming off the of screens and just not even setting his feet. Quick release, like point two seconds. It was ridiculous. I don't know how much with the hamstring. You know, I was talking about it kind of being like a lock. Even if you know he can get all the treatment he wants, but you want to feel that hamstring, regardless if it's you know you feel you're good or not. How much ibuprofen you want to take? You can take sixteen hundred, but you still want to feel that. Um, you gotta hope Boogie is ready to put his hat down and give you thirty plus minutes for the rest of the series, specifically in Game Three. You gotta hope that the I believe what was it twelve and ten turns into maybe 18 and 10 or 18 and 12. And you got to hope that he really gets that dog back in. him. you just got to hope that Steph shows up when he needs to show up at all times in the game. But Steph gives you the full, full quarters and he's 28 points even, not just a lopsided half, which, I mean, it works. You know, it works when it works. But, dog, if you – if Steph Curry gets up 16 points in the first half, then it's a whole different game regardless of what happens just because that's the nature of the beast. If Steph Curry's going off, the Warriors naturally go off. So I'm hoping Steph shows up. I'm hoping these role players are – I want to see QC have a game. I want to see Andrew – shoot, I want to see Andrew Bogut have a game. I want to see these guys that were so vaulted of, you know, this is supposed to be the Warriors bench and the Warriors for the last couple of years. Even with the not the best bench players by name, they've still been getting it done. They've had one of the best bench. Benches, yeah, I say. They're, yeah, their bench, their bench unit has it always has that like championship quality where it's almost like the Patriots. You could stick anybody in exactly any situation, and they should be able to produce. Shoot, Jonas Rapko, it's time, bro. It's time, step up because you want to be playing. Clearly, you're playing. I don't know if he was expecting to play at all in the season, but yeah, he's <laughs> playing in the finals. So put your big boy briefs on and get rid of it. So I want to see a full game from the Warriors. I don't want to see any of the weird stuff. Hoping there's a run, a twenty and zero run, because it's hard to go on twenty and zero runs, even for the Warriors. Well, maybe not for the Warriors. It is kind of that's their thing, but you know. Well, with, if, if Clay's not one hundred percent, yeah, it's a little harder. It's, it's going to become real. Yeah, it's a little harder. So I just want to see a full game from the Warriors, and I think they may be able to pull it out. Um, I think Game Three, like I said, it's you know saying it's really when the series starts. This might be one of the best games we've seen, just toe for toe. I'm really excited to see it. You might get a little, an overtime or maybe a double overtime. Just how it goes and how it might play out. Yeah, um, for me, it comes down to you You have to think that Klay Thompson isn't going to be there to bail you out. The first quarter could have gotten extremely ugly for the Golden State Warriors in game two. If it wasn't for Klay Thompson literally shooting lights out, they could have been down, no exaggeration, maybe 15 mm-hmm. to 18 points in the first quarter. Steph doesn't have time to, oh, I, I, I don't feel good, I'm kind of sick. No, if if your body's 100% healthy, and yeah, nobody's body right now in the NBA Finals is technically 100% healthy, but healthy enough to uh, play, then you have to be hot from the beginning of the game, especially in game three. You're going to have the crowd on your side, which is That's a, a big, big help. help. You're going to have momentum and everything going for you. So you have to start off strong. You can't put the burden on Clay because in the biggest games, Clay and Draymond are the players to, that are, are there to always bail out uh, the Warriors. And Steph needs to have his game. If he wants to be considered one of the best players in the NBA, it's as simple as this. He comes out and he gives at least, gets at least 40 to 45 points in game three. I feel like that's, yeah. that's the recipe for them to go ahead and win. You allow Clay to get, if he plays 15, Draymond to get 10. Boogie, like you said, Micah, you try to get him from that 10 to 12 mark to try to get him to that 16, 18 mark. And you, you get contributions from everywhere else. But 
this should be the Steph Curry game. If Steph Curry wants to go ahead and win finals MVP this season, he has to be able to produce in this moment. All, all Everything that we've been talking about for the season and the playoffs, you scratch that and it come, comes down to here. You want to be known as the best player in the world, this is when you have to produce. And we've seen LeBron James be able to do it multiple times. Um, we saw that Kawhi was able mm-hmm. to do it against LeBron with the, San, with the San Antonio Spurs. So if you want to get in that conversation, this is his moment. And I think that's going to be the key for the Warriors. Everything else considered, I think you're going to get a pretty similar game. I honestly think you'll get better uh, production from your role players because they're at home. Uh, you talked about Jonas Drepko. I was talking to my friends uh, here here at school, and I don't think I've seen Jonas Drepko like, hit a <laughs> shot in – and like three or four games, like it just every time he shoots, it's like, oh, this is this is an air ball. This he takes those confidence to rims too. I'm like, yo, is that your yeah. shot? <laughs> I'm, yeah. uh, so I'm I'm very very confused. But he he has to be able to hit a couple of shots. But I think that's that's going to wrap up uh, our game two and game three notes. I just want to get our last second um, predictions on what we think is going to happen in this game and who do we have winning. So I'll start with you, Michael. Yeah, um, you know. Regardless, Clay or not, honestly, I see the Warriors taking this game. Um, I'm still sticking with my original predictions. I see a split happening. I see the Warriors getting this game three, but possibly dropping a game four. It might be the KD effect uh, or the KD jinx even for some strange reason. There's a jinx now. Who knows? But this is how I've been seeing it. Uh, so far, I've called this, per- you know, particularly correct. You have called. You, you called the something first two games. I, yeah. I, I, been calling. I, you know, sometimes I just throw a take and I hope it sticks and it just slaps me in the <laughs> face. But for so, hey, so far it's just been pretty good. So I'm gonna stick with it. Warriors take game three. Yeah, and that's what that's what I'm going to. I, I'm gonna. We had game one. Uh, game one was the Siakam game. Game two, I I like. I would like to consider this game two the boogie game because I think boogie in the beginning of that uh, the beginning of the second half was able to save the Warriors basically mm-hmm. season. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be calling Game Three the Steph game. I think this is when Steph proves himself as one of the best players again in uh, the NBA, and it, I think it's gonna be very fun back and forth uh, type of game. And I'm excited to see that. But this is, we're not only gonna be talking about the NBA Finals today because very soon after the Finals is over, we have the NBA draft, and we know everybody's been talking about Zion, talking about RJ, uh, talking about uh, Ja Morant. We want to give you a different take and a different perspective on what exactly is going on. So we're going to give you our sleeper picks. And these aren't necessarily picks in the late second round. It's just picks that aren't getting as, as much as attention as those top three picks. And we want to describe to you what they did in college, what, uh, what we think they're going to be able to do in the NBA, and why they're going to be uh, that sleeper pick. So, Mike, I think we should go back and forth with one one pick each. So I'll start with you first, and you can give me your first. Sleeper. Yeah, starting top to bottom with my sleeper picks. Um, you know, kind of going from highest projections, maybe the lowest, but I feel like these are all guys in the NBA that are going to be, if not stars, really good players. Um, so first, I have Nicole Alexander Walker from Virginia Tech, uh, all ACC guy, a guy that put up a good amount of points. During his time, especially uh, his sophomore or second year playing, uh, 16 points, four total rebounds, four assists. So four rebounds, four assists, 16, four and four. For his career, his freshman year, he put up a lot, I believe, like 14 points. But his career, the totals are like 13 points, four and two. Um, this is a guy who 
that's a shooting guard. He's six five, two five. So heights on his side. Automatically, just seeing that, he reminds me a little bit, just build wise of Bradley Bill, just from the length and stuff like that. I wouldn't go as far as Clay Thompson because Clay Thompson has that like six seven ish frame, or maybe a little bit taller. But it's a guy that I feel like with some time, with some training as far as taking the right shots. He's a guy that would be an offensive monster. Um, the comparison that they – excuse me, that they're looking at is like Spencer Dinwiddie and Jordan Clarkson, and I wouldn't say that's necessarily too bad, especially for how – especially Spencer uh, Dinwiddie has developed in the league. Um, this is a guy who, I mean, he can shoot the lights out the gym when he's hot. Um, two steals a game is amazing. So he can is a guy that could be a 3-and-D type guy coming into the league pretty early. Um, one of the things I will worry about is that he is 205 right now, and obviously the NBA weight room is going to get him a little bigger. Uh, he did – well, I'll say this. Not did. He didn't show up when he needed to. Uh, Duke game and stuff like that, he was shooting like 25%. Maybe it was just the Duke effect. Who knows? But in those big games, you hope guys that can tr- you know, transfer in the NBA, they kind of put their foot down, and at least if they're going to lose, it wasn't on them. We saw guys, you know, maybe smaller schools and maybe smaller things, but, like, guys like Steph Curry, which is just, I'm just throwing a name out there, but against bigger talent, he shot the lights on. He went off. So maybe I wouldn't see more of that, but for a guy who could become a great role player or not even a great role player, a great starter or a good starter in the league, I definitely think he could stick. Yeah, uh, I like that. I like that pick a lot. For me, I'm starting, I'm, again, I'm starting with my highest projected, and then, like I, like you said, I worked to my lowest uh, – my lowest steal. So first, I'm going to start with Cam Reddish. And this is a very interesting pick. I, I'm a Duke fan, so I watched every Duke game this season. Coming into this year's draft class, the projection was Zion was uh, – actually, it was RJ was going to go one, uh, Zion was going to go two, and then Cam was going to go three. Um, we saw that Zion became the best player in college basketball, the most transcendent player we've seen in over a, a decade in college basketball. And RJ stuck he, – he was exactly what most people thought he was going to be. And he's there at that number two. But looking at mock drafts and looking at where Cam Reddish has fallen, he's in that 9 to 11 range, and he's fallen drastically. And I think that a lot of teams are making, or a lot of analysts are making the mistake that um, Cam Reddish isn't good anymore because of his season at Duke. We know what we saw in high school, and even though in college he shot 35% from the field and 33 from uh, the three-pointer, from the three-point line. Mm-hmm. We still know that Cam Reddish is a good shooter. The way that Zion and RJ play, it's not – I don't think it's very conducive of what Cam was – what Cam's abilities were. What you would get was Zion and RJ putting their head down, driving to the basket, and then last second just trying to kick it out to Cam Reddish and see if he can make something happen if they don't have their lane there. When Cam Reddish was in high school, he was the number one option. To go from the number one option to the third option and never be able to get into a true rhythm as a shooter – definitely uh, detrimental. We saw that when Zion went down in the Florida State game. Cam Reddish was the one that came up big and hit that big shot. In the Louisville game when Duke was down by 20-something points but came back to win that game, Cam Reddish was the one that hit the big shots. He still has that playmaking ability. He's a great – I think he's going to be a good defender in the league. I think he has a great three-point ability. He still needs to work on his handling and being able to become an attacker. I I see him similar to a Jason Tatum type of player where – his shot is so pure that that's going to be able to translate immediately his rookie season in the NBA. But like Jason Tatum, he's been working on his handles and being his driving ability and trying to be able to draw fouls. 
And I think Cam Reddish needs to work on that to get to that next level. For me, as a Wizards fan, and I think you too, Micah, we would love to see Cam Reddish on uh, our team because we think he could fill what Otto Porter was able, was doing the past couple of years for us. Mm-hmm. Now that he's gone to Chicago, I think Cam Reddish can do what Otto Porter did, but at a higher level and with an earlier level. Earlier too, and be able to have a driving ability along with um, along with his three-point shooting. So that's probably my first sleeper. I know a lot of people won't technically see that as a sleeper, but from dropping from a top three pick to now being in the early teens and maybe late single digits, I think Cam Reddish is going to be the biggest sleeper in that first uh, first group of players. So, Micah, your number two sleeper? So, my number two sleeper is Chris Wilkes, guard, UCLA. Um, I mean, first of all, the dude coming out was a clear five-star, one of the top players in the nation. When he got to UCLA, it was supposed to be him and Leandro Ball absolutely destroying whatever basketball they play in the Pac-12. Um, this was supposed to be the duo that was supposed to get them back to a Final Four or something like that. We know the situation with Leandro Ball, but Chris Wilkes absolutely balled out regardless. Um, last season, 17 points a game, four rebounds, almost two assists. I mean, this is like, bro, he's his measurables, like everything about him. Six seven, I'll give him six eight, about two ten. Uh, he's athletic. He plays smart ball, uh, smart ball, good defender. This is a guy. I mean, you probably end up being a small forward in the league just from height, weight kind of combo alone. This is a person that I mean, if he, you know, gets if he gets the NBA IQ side of it like instantly, he could be a guy that could possibly work into a six man if he gets on a team that will allow him to. Um, this is a guy I feel like he could possibly shock some people and be an all-rookie first team kind of guy. You know, he won't be a top five draft pick, maybe not even a top 15 or 20 draft pick. But if you pick him up late round, late first round, and you get him on a team with some good coaches and some good compliments around him, he won't. he's not going to be the superstar. You know, he's not going to be that guy for a good team off the set, you know, off, off rip, I should say. But if he continues to work and he gets around a confident group of guys, this is going to be a guy that can absolutely turn into an elite player. Um, only thing I'm looking for him to do is just be more consistent from the three-point range. Like, he didn't shoot bad. He shot 35%. But it was, uh, it was more just like the shots you're taking more than the percentages. The percentages can be great. But if you're just jacking them up, it's a little bit of an issue. So, I, I mean, he's confident, though, which is good. If you have confidence, you're not a type of player that loses confidence. So that's good. He's not a selfish kind of guy. Um, he was clearly ready to play alongside Leandro Ball before that happened. Uh, you know, I, I really, I really like him. Like, I, I don't know why some of these boards and stuff like that have him a little bit lower. Like, there's two different Mac. There's a, there's a big board that says he's 24, but then there's a mock that says he's 48. I don't really know where you want to place him in that, but I think looking at the big board and looking at just talent alone, that he'll probably fall late into that range in the late first round. But I'm excited to see what he can do in the league. Yeah, I like that. With my with my second um my second sleeper, I'm going to the University of Maryland. Hey. Back from the hometown hometown and we're going with our center, Bruno Fernando. And I don't think people understand how much impact Bruno had this season. Maryland back in the day were they were known as a school that would get to uh will get to the final four where they won a championship that year with uh Steve Blake. And ever since they haven't been the same, they've had flashes with uh your Mellow Trembles, your Diamond Stone, you had 
players that you were like, well, they're on the fringes of making the NBA. But with Bruno, I think he's going to be a certified stud and big man in, um, in the NBA. He has a great rebounding ability. He can make a shot. He, he actually has a three-point shot. He has a mid-range game. And he also has a low post game. Um, was able to catch the lobs. Can almost that every everything for um, everything for Maryland. Um, this season was a, a year to take that next step of getting to an elite level team. I've seen a lot of preseason mocks, and Maryland is in the top ten now. Bruno's gone, yeah, but man. everybody's coming back. They've done great re- recruiting wise, and I think that with Bruno, with Bruno there, he's he's going to be a steal. He's going to be a great. Um, He's going to be like a pretty good big man in the league. I, if I was to compare him to somebody, I would compare him to DeAndre Ayton of last year. Um, Ayton being able to uh, be the focal point for a team, a uh, college team where centers aren't really the main talking point anymore. It's all about it's all about your wings. It's all about your point guards. But DeAndre Ayton was able to stand out, and I think Bruno is going to be able to have that similar type of uh, ability to a lesser level, of course, because Ayton was the first pick. Uh, last year, I think that Bruno's going to be able to come in and make an impact. It, he doesn't have to go ahead and score immediately, but he's going to be able to um, help you with rebounding. He's going to be able to get a couple blocks. Bruno, this season, he averaged uh, 13.6 points, uh, 10.6 rebounds on 60% shooting, so he averaged that double-double. With DeAndre Ayton, uh, his college year, he obviously was a better scorer with 20 points, 11 rebounds, and he was 62%. So, with the scoring ability, uh, Aiton has, of course, is a, uh, is a little bit better, but Bruno has the capability to be that player to take it to the next next level and get better. 2017, 2018, he was he was uh he was a 10, 10 and six type of player. 2018, 2019, he took his points total from ten to thirteen and his rebounds from six to ten. Getting more uh getting more minutes and producing in those minutes, and that's what you want to see from your big time players and. He he had pretty big games. Um, he had uh, uh, pretty big games throughout the season. I'm I'm ex- very excited to see where Bruno lands up. I hope he goes to a good situation. Um, I've seen him. He I think he may be the weirdest player in draft for uh, when it comes to projections because I've seen Bruno go uh, projections where he's going to the Wizards because we do have a need for a center with Thomas Bryant being really our only center and he's mm-hmm. not he's not he doesn't have that true center build. And then I see him as low going to the Warriors. So he can go anywhere. It depends on what teams feel about him. So that's going to be very, very interesting to see where he lands up uh, come draft day. But we're definitely going to be rooting for Bruno, the hometown hometown kid from uh, the University of Maryland. And, Michael, with your third pick? Yeah, so for my third pick, man, I, I've seen some of his highlights. i kind of seen some of the, the hoop mixtape stuff, his high his school stuff. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. from USC, uh, only a freshman, only decided to play one year, didn't even get a lot of minutes, only really played about 20 minutes a game at USC. In those 20 minutes, I mean, he made the most of it, got about nine points, nine and a half points, four rebounds, uh, assist and a half. But the big thing for me, it's kind of the eye test kind of thing. And from what I saw, first of all, his athleticism absolutely stands out. He he just gets right, like, on the court. He could be an elite slasher in the league. Um, something that I kind of want to see Donovan Mitchell take heed and do. I feel like he could do that right away in kind of a similar fashion. Um, and in saying that, he does have a decent shot on him. He's not a guy that just bricks it and it's just a straight slasher like Russ. It's a guy who can 
do a little bit of the combo guard stuff. He can make a couple shots from deep. Uh, a shot a decent percent. Probably the, out of my three, he has the best percentage, but it's also with not a lot of minutes played. So it's a little bit hard to gauge and stuff like that. Uh, got a lot of good shots um, from some veteran guys at USC, but I mean, just slashing alone, he can. I mean, he can jump out the roof. He's an explosive type guy, real explosive type guy. Six five, two fifteen. I mean, everything about it is just really the eye test thing for me. If it all comes together, and I really hope it does, he could be a game changing type player in the effect of like. If he comes off the bench, it is just explosive. Like he he might not break the break the bank with types of moves. He might not have the biggest repertoire of, you know, post fades and shimmies and stuff like that. He's not ever gonna be Kobe. But if he gives me J.R. Smith circa two thousand and eleven, just comes off the bench and absolutely wrecks it and just explosive, he can hit some corner threes, he can play some decent defense, which J.R. never was a crazy defender, but he played decent defense. If that can happen, I think that's a success for him, given that he only really stayed for his freshman year and only got nine points. Uh, biggest thing that, I guess, is impacting his draft stock is just he had a little bit of trouble, I guess, with some of the coaches at USC, and you know how that goes. If word is out there, if a situation might come up. A narrative could start a Yeah, up, a narrative right? start. And I think a narrative has started a little bit. Um, of course, NBA teams, they kind of find a way to weed through all the mess way better than NFL. NFL, oh, yeah. they'll run with that. So I'm not necessarily worried about that side of it, but I just hope that it hasn't got to his head and he knows what he can bring to the table because for me, I think he has the best upside. If he can really put it all together, bro. He can be, he can really be a top player in this league just off athleticism alone, which is big to have as a rookie. If you can just out athlete people until you get your game right, that's a big thing. We see Giannis been doing it now. He's athlete, just an amazing athlete, and when he starts to get a shot and stuff like that, it's over. So, not necessarily the same situation, but if he can still be an elite athlete, continue to do that, he'll last in this league. And I, I really, really, really want to see where he goes. And just the situation he's in, because, of course, in the right situation, he might rise to the top. Yeah, uh, I like that there. That, that was going to be my question, but you answered it. With, Do you think that he has to be in the right situation for him to go ahead and produce in the NBA? Yeah, definitely. Um, going to a team in the lottery, I don't necessarily think fits what he needs to do. He needs the type. He's got that, honestly, he won't be an all-rookie type player because he probably won't play a lot his rookie year. But I feel like if you give him a year, maybe two, to kind of just develop what he needs to develop within his game. And it's not too much, but he – I feel like at times he's a little bit too reliant on his athleticism because he's only 19, bro. He's really a freshman. Like, he's really green. He was just in high school the other year. Like, if he can really just sit and really work with the right guys, he'll be amazing. I think if somehow, like, if, if the Spurs get him or something like that and if Pop wants to make that his project before he retires and he learns behind the Rosen – and, you know, the Spurs, they're always going to be in some type of contention. If that happens and he just breaks out, he breaks out. It reminds me of, um, what's the first thing, uh, Simmons. He plays for the Magic now. A situation like that where if he – Oh, just Jonathan, gets, Sim- yeah, well, Jonathan John- Simmons. Who's, who's uh, got traded to the Sixers for folks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, excuse me, yeah, for the 76ers now. But Jonathan Simmons with the Spurs, I mean – I wish he kind of stayed there just because of his projection and what Pop was able to do with him. He looked like an absolute stud, and he's a good baller. But in that system, he was looking ridiculous, just athleticism, playing good defense, making shots when he needed to. Coming off the bench, he was never a starter. 
So in a situation like that, I feel like he can absolutely flourish. But if he goes to a team that, I mean, if he goes to, like, the Suns, bro, it's just going to be another crapshoot. Like, he's just going to be doing a lot of – Just in the mix just, again. Yeah, in the mix again. So he needs to be in the right situation, but I think his upside is tremendous. Yeah, yeah, I like that there. Um, for me, my last, uh, my last sleeper – this is also another personal one for me, but it's Cameron Johnson from the University of North Carolina. Mm. Uh, I got to the University of Pittsburgh in 2016. And Cam Johnson was uh, was one of the bright spots as the team was struggling. Um, the team was struggling, so Cam Johnson said, you know what, I, I got to do what's best for my career. I do not blame him one bit. He decided to transfer to uh, University of North Carolina. And with North Carolina, people were always talking about Kobe White, Nasir Little, your Luke Mays, but an anchor of that team was Cameron Johnson. Cam averaged 17 points, uh, six rebounds, two assists, on fifty percent, on fifty percent mm. uh, shooting from the in field. college, in college as a wing, like that's that's not something you see. You see that fifty percent from your center and your power forwards who are just dunking, but for him to be shooting fifty percent from the field and forty five percent from the three, he is going to make an immediate impact on whatever team he goes to. He's athletic. He's a great uh, free throw shooter. He has all the qualities. It's just that I think that with him. If you're not a one and done player at this point, you're going to fall. Your your stock just drops in the draft mm-hmm. automatically. If you're not one and done, they something has. To, everybody's like, oh, something has to be up. I don't think necessarily that that's the case with Cam Johnson. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, you were talking about uh, uh, all rookie teams. I think Cam Johnson is going to be on that all rookie team next year because he's going to be able to go to a team that is contender because they have him in the 20s. So he's going to go to a contender team and be able to produce for me. I would love, I don't think he falls that far, but for the Portland trailblazers to pick up cam Johnson. And instead of having Alfred Camino, uh, who is not very reliant on that three point shot, yeah. you have a three and D type of player in cam Johnson who can give you 50% uh, from the field and 45% from the three, along with Damon CJ that can definitely help out the team. I, I think he has an opportunity I don't know if I'm overstating or just from what I've seen in basically four years watching him, I think he has the ability to go ahead and if he gets in the right, uh, if he gets in the right situation to start immediately in the NBA, I think Cam Johnson is going to be my biggest sleeper uh, of the draft. But before we go, Micah, do you have any last minute comments on, on anything uh, NBA or NBA draft related? Um, I mean, you know how it goes, man. I just hope, them boys from DC make <laughs> the right pick. Uh, you know, I, the two you said, honestly, the two situations that could possibly happen. I'm not mad at them. Cam Reddish, I'm not mad at. I'm like, I just don't. I don't know. I'm just seeing some like bull bull talks. I I don't want bull bull. I don't I, want bull bull. I, I think bull bull. He, I just think he's gonna be injury prone. I I hope he's not. I hope he stays healthy. But man, when you're like that his, tall, football bro, if he's like his tops, bro, he's, he'll be injury prone. Yeah. He, hey, play for the boats too. You should know, but hey, that's all. Though. I just hope them boys make the right pick. Uh, we're still, we're, still, we're, we're still looking for a GM, but once you feel me, hey, <laughs> I might have to step in and make a few picks. Uh, I mean, call hey. up my man Ted, but you know. <laughs> Whatever happens, happens. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm excited to see uh, the NBA draft. Uh, the finals should be fun. NBA draft is going to be amazing, and then we'll get into free agency. But we have a lot, like we said, a lot of content coming out over the summer. We're definitely going to do our 
full draft board and get our one through 30 pick on where each player is going and how it fits into their team. But that's going to do it for this episode. This is this. I think this is the most fun episodes I've had mm-hmm. uh, all, all year doing. So for Mike and for Micah, we'll see you for our game three instant reaction. Peace. Peace. Oh, yeah. Shout out Texas. 2.89 GPA. Highest in team history. You know what we're doing. <laughs> Big football things. We're not idiots. We're smart. Shout out Big 12. Shout out all of them, you know. 2.89. Not no three. We're not there yet. Baby steps. We just, you know, you know, you feel me? That's why Texas is terrible now, but you know. <laughs> hey, 2.89. I'm proud of my boys out in Texas. Hey, and that's going to do. We'll see you guys on Wednesday, man. <laughs> oh. <laughs>